It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Today's episode of The Serial Dynasty is sponsored in part by Audible. If you love the show and you're looking for a way to help fund it without spending any money, this is a great way to do that. Audible is offering for all Serial Dynasty listeners to download one free audiobook. To download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash Serial Dynasty. By downloading your free audiobook, you'll not only give yourself something to listen to, but it's also a big help in helping to support this movement. Once again, that website is audibletrial.com slash Serial Dynasty. Welcome back to Serial Dynasty Episode 10. As always, I want to thank you all for tuning in today. This week's episode is going to be a short one. Um, I know we have listeners from 79 countries at this point, but here in the States, this is the 4th of July weekend. Um, I'm going to be out of town for most of the weekend and trying to cram in time to get this episode edited and published on time for you all on Sunday. Uh, But I wanted to make sure we got some kind of episode out this week. So it'll be a short one, but we'll have another full episode for you next Sunday. In this week's episode, I want to go through a brief analysis of the undisclosed addendum number six that dropped last Monday. And I've also reached out to Michael Wood. Uh, For those of you that aren't aware, Michael Wood became a household name very quickly just a couple of weeks ago when he began tweeting out a lot of the corruption that he witnessed with his 11 years with the Baltimore Police Department. Michael is now retired and he's attempting to spearhead a new movement to try to fix the corruption and not just the Baltimore Police Department, but police departments around the country. Michael didn't have time this week to do an interview, so we did kind of an email interview where I sent him some questions and he responded. So I'll read through that email interview. But before we get started in all of that, uh, I want to make a quick correction from last week's episode. Or to be honest with you, at this point, I don't even know if it would be considered a correction. I mentioned in last week's episode that in a 2004 statistic that I had found that the Baltimore's police department had a clearance rate on homicides of 95%, whereas the national average was 62%. Since then, I've dug deeper into that to try to find more stats and statistics, and rather than find more clarity, I actually found more questions. I found no less than two dozen articles, blog posts, etc. on the topic, and the statistics are ranging very wildly. I had pulled that stat and made note of it off an article I was reading on another topic, and I'm not going to go as far as saying that that statistic is incorrect, but I will go as far as to say that it is not verified. Um, What I was looking for this week was to find a .gov source, an official source, maybe through the Department of Justice, um, giving me the actual stats, not people writing about the stats. And I was unable to find that. I've tweeted out a couple of times for those of you that are on Twitter this week that I'm not necessarily comfortable with that statistic. Um, And that's my fault. I should have researched it further. Last week was a busy week. And I read it. I wrote the note down. And I went with it on the podcast. And I didn't fact check it as well as I should have. So 
I'm not sure if that stat is correct. I've seen stats that say they have clearance rates as low as 53%, as high as 95%. I've seen statistics that say the Baltimore County Police Department two years ago had a 100% clearance rate. Of course, they have a much lower crime rate than Baltimore. So basically what I'm telling you is I do not know what that statistic is. I don't know if the stat that I had found is correct. I've been unable to verify it, so I just wanted to make that clear and apologize because that's something that I should have looked into further before I even said it on the show. Now, moving on from there, I want to briefly discuss Undisclosed Episode 6 addendum that dropped last week. In last week's addendum, the Undisclosed team had another couple of great pulls uh, digging deeper into the paperwork that they've been able to obtain on the case. First of which was the fact that Heyman Lee had not yet deposited her paycheck that she had received early in January, on January 13th, the day she went missing. Susan Simpson mentioned on the show that when they looked back at her previous bank records, her previous checks had all been cashed on the day they were received. And so it's very interesting the fact that this check had been left uncashed, or seemingly so, when we consider further analysis of her bank statements that show that her credit cards were maxed out and she was down to only $8 in her bank account. So why hadn't she deposited the check? That's thing number one. Uh, but the other thing that Susan had pulled out was the fact that on, I believe she said, three separate occasions, she had stopped at an ATM machine that's on the way to pick up her cousin at the Campfield Learning Center to either withdraw cash or deposit checks. Now, putting those two pieces of evidence together could lead us to theorize that it's possible that the place where Heyman Lee was intercepted on January 13, 1999, would have been at that ATM. She had a check that hadn't been deposited, her bank account was on E, and that's an ATM that she had used multiple times in the past. Even more interesting than that is the fact that that ATM machine was located across the street from where Roy Davis was living. Now, of course, given the fact that the police department didn't investigate very much at all about what Heyman Lee was doing, that's really all that we know is those few facts. And just like everything else, we have to take the facts and try to piece together a theory. It's well known that many women, especially in the city of Baltimore around that time, and even to this day, have oftentimes been abducted at ATM machines. So personally, I consider it a very plausible theory that that's what's going on. Maybe that's what was going on. Maybe that's the thing that came up, the thing she had to do, was she needed to stop and deposit some money. Maybe she remembered she had a bill to pay. Maybe she remembered she had something she needed to purchase. She knew her bank account was empty. The ATM was on the way and she needed to make a quick stop. Or the thing that came up was something that she needed to spend money on and she knew that she didn't have money in her account, so she was then going to stop at the ATM machine. Now this is just speculation and a theory, but I don't think that it's anything that we can just throw out at this point. The big question that I have was, is it possible that the check was just cashed for cash? And unfortunately, the only way that we could know that would be to pull the bank records for LensCrafters. If the check was just cashed and not deposited into an account, we wouldn't see that on Heyman Lee's side, but you would see it on the LensCrafter side if that check was left uncashed. And as a matter of fact, it would have been something that would have been fairly easy to find out by the police department at that time, because being someone who does have to process payroll and deal with these things on a regular basis, it actually causes some problems when someone doesn't cash their check. What happens is it makes it so that it's very difficult to reconcile your account you have this uncleared check, and for one month, no big deal, two months, three months, but after a period of time, you've got this one check that's lingering out there affecting your reconciliation report. 
So whoever handles the payroll at LensCrafters with one phone call would have very easily been able to figure out that that check was left uncleared. But that was never done. I don't know if it's something that we can still do at this point, but I'm hoping maybe the Undisclosed team can dig a little deeper into that and see if that was ever checked into or possibly even today find out if that check was ever actually just cashed somewhere and if it cleared LensCrafters account. For me, this is just another one of those nagging, frustrating things that just continues to drive me crazy about this case and the lack of investigation and interest in what the victim was doing by the Baltimore Police Department. Imagine if they had subpoenaed LensCrafters bank records or looked into that to find out if that check had ever been cashed. What if they found out the check was cashed on January 25th? Could it be possible that she had signed the check and was going to deposit it and the killer grabbed it and cashed it themselves at some point? Is it likely? I don't know because they never looked into it. It's just so backwards the way that they investigated this case, and it's so clear more and more as we move on with this investigation and the undisclosed team keeps finding more information that the police department had little to no interest in what was going on with Heyman Lee. The victimology side of this case was just not important to them. All they cared about was convicting Adnan. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, the other interesting part about this discovery is the fact that the ATM machine was located directly across the street from Roy Davis's home. I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but me just looking at this from an investigatory point of view, if I'm looking at all the evidence that we have in the case, my number one suspect, and I'm not saying that he's guilty of the crime, but my number one suspect at this point would clearly be Roy Davis. He's the one that has the most evidence that is pointing towards him, albeit a lot of it's circumstantial. And of course, at the time of the investigation of Heyman Lee's murder, Roy Davis had not been implicated in Jada Lambert's murder at that time, but certainly looking at things now, and if we're looking at this from a perspective of trying to find justice and getting the Baltimore Police Department to try to find the true killer of Heyman Lee, we try to look at all of this evidence through unbiased eyes without having in our mind that Adnan Syed is guilty, but just simply looking at the evidence for what it is. There's no doubt in my mind that any police department at this point would be looking very heavily into Roy Davis as the culprit. And that's what we're all about here at the Serial Dynasty. It's to try to find justice, to rally the troops, to drive a movement forward for justice, not just for Adnan, but for Heyman Lee as well. And beyond that, anyone else that happens to be sitting in prison right now that was falsely convicted of a crime. We want to bring to the public's eye 
the corruption in some of these investigations and change the way things are done so this doesn't happen again. But that's a long way down the road. First and foremost, let's solve this crime. If Anand Syed did this, prove it. If he didn't, let him go home and let's find who did do it. I still believe wholeheartedly that the person that can make this happen in the most timely manner is State's Attorney for the City of Baltimore, Marilyn Mosby. For those of you that follow the Serial Dynasty on Twitter, you probably saw a few days back where Twitter user Serial Companion made a tweet to Marilyn Mosby asking for justice. And I've been thinking about this for the last couple of days. And I'd like to ask all of you to do something. Any of you that are on Twitter, send a message, send a tweet to at Marilyn Mosby ESQ. Be kind, be respectful, but let's start putting a bug in Marilyn Mosby's ear. We want this case investigated. We want to find the truth. We want her to continue on the path that she's pronounced that she's on to right the wrongs of the city of Baltimore Police Department. The only way that we're ever going to have her ear is to speak to it. Kindly, respectfully, and intelligently. And just let her know that we're out here. Now moving along with our analysis of the Episode 6 addendum, Another very interesting point that kind of blew my mind was the fact that in the private investigator's notes, we find that Jay and Phil attempted to interrupt Stephanie speaking with the private investigator. Now, I've mentioned in previous episodes that I have some suspicion of both Patrick and Phil, given the fact that shortly after I believe the crime was committed, the first few phone calls that were made were to Jen Pusateri, Patrick, and Phil. So I've always kind of felt that they know something. Maybe not that they were necessarily involved, but they at least know something. And then we find out that, from what Stephanie says, she told Jay that she was going to speak with his private investigator, and both Jay and Phil rush over there and attempt to interrupt her speaking with the private investigator. And if I understood what was said and undisclosed correctly, Stephanie's words were that they attempted to interrupt her. So that's just something else to keep on our radar as we're digging through the evidence of this case. It seems more and more likely that that call to Phil shortly after the murder happened could be something that is indeed very significant in this case. Now moving on from there, I'd like to read to you the email interview that I had with Michael Wood that I mentioned earlier in the episode. Again, to refresh your memory, Michael Wood is a retired Baltimore police officer who recently began tweeting about the corruption that he witnessed during his time working with the Baltimore Police Department. Now, it should be noted that Michael came into the force after the reign of Kevin Urich, after the Anand Syed Heyman Lee case. And so at face value, some of what he's doing isn't necessarily all that relevant to this case. However, it does paint quite a picture of what goes on in the Baltimore Police Department in general. Like I mentioned earlier, Michael was unavailable this week for an interview. Uh, but what Michael asked me to do was to email him some interview questions, which he responded back to, for me to read on the air in this episode. And then asked that any listeners that have any follow-up questions for him to go and email them to me at theories at serialdynasty.com. 
and then we're going to try to arrange a time to do an actual interview where he'll respond to some of your follow-up questions. So this might be a good time to hit pause, grab a pad of paper. If you have anything you want to jot down that you want to email to me, go ahead and listen in on what we're discussing here with Michael Wood. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In our email interview, I asked Michael eight questions. Number one, I asked, what is your background with the Baltimore Police Department? Michael's response, I joined the Baltimore PD in 2003, went to the academy, and was placed on foot patrol with other trainees in Gilmore Homes, where Freddie Gray was arrested. After approximately six months, I was assigned to the Southern District, where I mainly worked Pigeon Town in an area of the Tri-District, a short distance south of Gilmore Homes. I was on midnight shift until I simply could not take the hours any longer and was placed rotating nights and days in Pigeon Town and some in Cherry Hill. I finally got transferred to Northern District Patrol, which I had sought from the beginning to be closer to my home. I was not there long before transferred to the Violent Crime Impact Division around 2007. I started off in enforcement, but helped start up the major case squad for the Northwest Side. From there, I was promoted to sergeant in June of 2009 and assigned to the Eastern District. After foolishly injuring my shoulder in a non-exciting story, I moved around from various administrative assignments, which exposed me to a huge enemy for police, commanders and politicians. The second question I had for Michael, Baltimore Police Department has somewhat of a reputation for being corrupt. Do you feel this is a fair assessment of the Baltimore Police Department based on your experience? Michael's response, It is, but I don't imagine it is any more than a lot of other cities with similar challenges. I am also not so sure that it does not apply to the entire nation. It is just that under these conditions, the problems of the institution are more readily expressed. A third question to Michael. Michael Wood became somewhat of a household name after you began tweeting about police misconduct a few weeks ago. Most of the tweets involved mistreatment of the citizens of Baltimore. Relating your experiences to the Heyman Lee murder case, have you experienced any of the investigatory corruption that appears to have been in play during that investigation? For example, excluding witness statements from case files, manipulating witness statements, racial profiling, orders to close a case at all costs, etc. Michael's response, completely, it is not about the truth. It is about probable cause enough to make the arrest or close the case through some extraordinary circumstance. We have a fundamentally corrupt system because the incentives are all wrong through every step. Until police become focused on justice, nothing will change. My fourth question. It was noted in the Undisclosed podcast that the Baltimore Police Department had a policy of not testing evidence that could, quote, complicate the case. Was this policy a reality during your time with the Baltimore Police Department? And if so, was it an actual policy or an unwritten rule? Michael's response. Well, I never worked in homicide. I would never do that to myself. We are back to incentives, though. A simple lead that would go in a more difficult progression is incredibly unlikely to be pursued. Remember, it's about closing the case, not finding the truth. 
My fifth question to Michael. You came into the Baltimore Police Department after the reign of Kevin Urich. Being a narcotics officer, did you ever hear of Urich? Did he have a reputation or legacy with the other narc cops? Michael says, No, I never heard of him. I don't know why that is. Some past things in the Baltimore Police Department seem to carry on as legend, and other very significant events are just completely forgotten. Number six, did you ever, or did you ever witness other officers arrest suspects that you knew were not guilty of the crime they were charged with? If so, what was the motivation in doing so? Michael says, with petty stuff called giving a humble many times. Probable cause is often met in these cases, though. All the institution cases about is probable cause. I do not know so much whether many of the people were guilty or not in a lot of the narcotics cases. But honest probable cause lacked more in narcotics than anywhere else that I saw. In many of these cases, the cops thought the people were guilty, so twisted and stretched things in to fit that narrative. The motivations remain in the improper incentives, case clearances, laziness, overtime, arrest pressure, and so forth. I really doubt that these would occur with the pressure from leaders to continue this system. Now my seventh question to Michael. Did you ever witness or take part in coercing witnesses by bullying or threatening? Michael says, I can't say that I have. I did not pay much attention to other cases, and the major case squad detectives that I work with would never go that far. And here's the last question that I had for Michael. Lastly, you've mentioned on Twitter that you do not believe that Adnan Syed should have been convicted. Can you explain why you feel that way? And here's Michael's response. I don't really know what there is to explain. There is no case against Adnan. It is quite shocking that when simply not pursuing some of these leads seems enough to question the conviction, but then when those things just keep piling on, there's no way that he is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. It is almost Twilight Zone-like. If you told this case, no one would ever believe he ends up convicted. Adnan's case is a circumstantial evidence case in reverse. There is so much circumstantial evidence that he did not do it that I am inclined to lean towards innocence. Then at the end of the email, Mike says, how about after this you solicit questions, follow-up or something from your audience, and I will do a phone call in next time. Respectfully, Michael A. Wood, Jr. And I want to personally thank you, Michael, for taking the time to respond to those questions for me. Michael has been incredibly busy over the last couple of weeks with all kinds of inquiries for interviews and public statements and things of that nature after he began his crusade to try to right the wrongs of the Baltimore Police Department a couple of weeks ago. So again, if you have any follow-up questions for Michael, send them in in the next couple of days to theories at SerialDynasty.com along with all of your other thoughts and theories. And if we have enough interest there, Michael and I will set up a time and we'll do a call-in interview for an upcoming episode. Now in closing today, I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen to the episode during this holiday weekend. And again, my apologies for the short episode this week. I had considered just taking the week off because of the holiday but with just the rate that the Undisclosed team is bringing out new information and also this correspondence with Michael Wood, I thought it was worth taking the time to at least put together a short one for you. So that's all I have for you this week. Sorry, no big buildup and chilling ending on this one. But make sure that you tune in next week where we have another full episode. So keep sending your thoughts and theories in to theories at SerialDynasty.com. 
Shoot me tweets and messages on Twitter at Serial Dynasty. Want to give a special thanks to Johnny Rose of Slightly Subversive Music for providing the music for the show. And also just want to give you all a little bit of a heads up. Uh, I had a listener, Tate, who is a graphic designer that sent me in a new logo that he put together for the show. And I kind of like it. And I think that I'm going to update the logo on the feed. So if you notice in your feed in the next couple of weeks that the logo has changed, don't worry, it's still me. It's still the same podcast, just a different logo. So thank you, Tate, for putting that together. I hope you've all had a great weekend. And until next week, this has been The Serial Dynasty.